The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Time for our 2020 catcher preview. I'm going to give you some names. Last year, these players finished as top 12 catchers in points leagues, and a lot of them were top 12 in Roto as well. Christian Vasquez, he was actually top five. So was Mitch Garver. Omar Narvaez, James McCann, Robinson Chirinos, and Roberto Perez. They were all top 12 catchers in points leagues. It was a wacky, crazy position. Will it be again in 2020? Welcome to the show, Adam Azer, Scott White, Chris Towers. We did our relief pitcher preview yesterday on February 12th. It is Thursday the 13th, right? Ooh, Thursday the 13th. Creepy. Uh, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. We'll take a day off from the previews, talk about players we love, answer your emails, talk about all the rules changes in baseball, but... Right now, catchers, Scott, give me uh, the overview on catcher. You do realize Thursday the 13th isn't a thing. It's right? nothing. It's absolutely such nothing. A goofball. <laughs> <laughs> there Speaking. is a 13th in every single month. And it, yeah, well, sometimes it's on Thursday. How creepy is that? Is. There's okay. roughly, roughly a 14% chance it will land on a Thursday in any given month. I guess so. I guess so. Um, uh, catcher well, catcher is the weakest position because it's always the weakest position. It has uh, built-in disadvantages. Players sit there more often than any other position. There is a high degree of attrition at the position. So it's weak. And But the thing is, it never has to be all that deep for there to be enough to go around, particularly when you're talking about a one-catcher league, which is probably like 75% of our audience at least I hope more versus a two catcher I, league. I d- yeah, I'm on a crusade to end two catcher leagues. Scott, you're the one who can do it. If you just stop, well, I don't want them to end myself. They should, but okay. But anyway, because of that, you only need as many catchers as there are teams in your league. Nobody is drafting a second catcher. Catcher. You know, nobody's using one in the utility spot or anything like that. It's just, are there 12? If we're talking to a 12-team, the the standard 12-team league, are there 12 catchers that are going to be good enough for you to hold your own at the position? And I think there are at least that many. So it's a weak position, but it's not one you should necessarily look to pay up for. Okay, and what I find um, encouraging is average draft position. Real Muto is the first catcher off the board, and I'll just confirm where he's going according to Fantasy Pros. I think it's the end of round five. 
And then, yeah, it's 57th, 58th overall. End of round five in a 12-team league. Gary Sanchez is 75th overall. It's round seven for Sanchez. And, I mean, if, if Real Muto and Sanchez sort of hit their peak, if they play as well as they can, which is an OPS around 900 or high high 800s, you know, they could blow away the competition. We, we could be talking about them late second round, early third round, as we had in the past. So I th- I think Chris, Scott and Chris, I'll let you um, comment on that. I think Sanchez, Real Muto, Real Muto going at the end of round five, Sanchez in round seven in a 12-team league. I actually think that's pretty solid value. I think that's a nice discount. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's a little bit like relief pitcher in that the biggest names at the position were just a bit disappointing last season and not nearly to the extent that relief pitcher was. Relief pitcher was a, a wasteland last year, but Real Muto, we had such high expectations for him getting out of Miami. And then Sanchez, we just kind of always have high expectations and both of them, I think, were just a little bit disappointing overall, and that creates an opportunity where their perceived value is lower. And if they do hit, you know, the, their upside's not any lower than it was last year. Right, right. Scott, you agree? You like the value for them? Yeah, I think it's I think it's fine to draft them where they're going, but I also think it's understandable why they've dropped to that level versus where we were taking them a year ago because it, it was more of a wasteland, this position, a year ago. Uh, but then players emerged who none of us really saw coming, at least not to the degree that they did emerge. Guys like Mitch Garver and Will Smith and Christian Vasquez and Omar Narvaez. Uh, and that's not even the end of James McCann. Like, I could keep going in terms of play- right. catchers who outperformed expectations. And the only one of those names I listed who had any like sleeper traction was Omar Narvaez. And even that was kind of, on the deeper level of sleepers. So it's, uh, it, it, it looks a lot different than it did at this time a year ago. And that's why it? those, I, I think that's the biggest reason why those high end bats are, are going later. Do you buy that Scott? Because, you know, I mentioned all those catchers that finished top 12. Um, and I remember thinking at the end of last year, like, Hey, in a 12 team, one catcher league, I think most owners are, are okay with their catcher, you know, satisfied. Maybe you're not crushing mm-hmm. it. But you're okay with it. Um, do you buy that it is deeper? And yes. Yeah, you do. Okay. Because yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys that had breakouts last year, were old and had been really bad, <laughs> and that's never a good thing. You know, like Roberto Perez and and James McCann and Christian uh, Vasquez. Yeah, he's he's, oh, he's young. Not, he's he's young old. compared to them. Uh, uh, but he's, he's been around for a little bit. Yeah. Well, he got and had never really been young. good. Christian Vasquez is twenty nine. Okay, he's older than yeah. I thought. Yeah, he's ancient, <laughs> decrepit. Uh, uh, but you I, buy that it's not deeper? all of the names I listed off will. Chances are, some of them won't repeat that production, but I think enough of them will that, particularly considering the waiver wire is going to be chock full of. Whoever the next in line, whoever, whoever the next to come along and emerge unexpectedly with fantasy relevant numbers, like they're going to be out there because everybody who's satisfied with their catcher isn't going to pick up the next hot thing on the waiver wire because why have two catchers? So it's, I, I think it's fine. James McCann definitely won't. 
uh, unless Yasmani Grundahl gets hurt, the White Sox blocked his chances of repeating there. But any of the others, I would be fine drafting as my starter, crossing my fingers they do it again, and recognizing that if they don't, there will probably be alternatives there. Again, speaking strictly for a one-catcher league. And most of them aren't going to cost you much. Right. Oh, yeah. Very, very little. In fact, I think one stat you want to look at in a one-catcher league, it this is really more of a points league, but not exclusively, is plate appearances. It's just so heavily tied to where guys finish. For catchers... Eight uh, 10 of the top 12, make sure I get this stat exactly right. 10 of the top 12 catchers in points league were among the top 12 in plate appearances. Nine of the top 12 catchers in roto leagues were among the top 12 in plate appearances. So <laughs> my favorite stat that I unearthed doing all this research was Yadier Molina. He had an IL stint and he had, he slugged 399. Like he did not hit well, but he played in 113 games. He started 108 games. He sat. He started 108 games. He sat 11 times. So Yadier Molina is like, I don't know. Is he going to be the la- like? Is he even going to have top 12 ADP? You could wait and wait. No. He, could be, he could be your last pick in a points league. I pretty much guarantee he's going to be a top 12 catcher this year in a points league. He's just going to play. Yeah. One other thing, if we're talking about the differences between formats in a one catcher league, the only time I could see it being worth owning two catchers is if you're in a daily lineup league. Because we know most catchers aren't going to play every day. But if you do have a second one, uh, especially if that second one is passable, who's not going to hurt you too much, uh, there is the potential to to gain an edge there by streaming the catcher position, moving guys in and out of the lineup based on when they're not catching. And usually, you can usually predict when a guy's not going to be in the lineup, you know. Guys like JT Realmuto, they're going to be in the lineup pretty much every day. But a lot of those catchers are going to be off on a day game after a night game. So, you know, your Sunday, your Monday getaway, your Thursday games, there are opportunities to to swap those guys in the lineup and give yourself a bit of an edge. It's not going to be huge, but, you know, it, it could make a difference. So let's let's get to some questions here, and then we'll go through ADP and some overall strategy and whatnot. I'll just add one last thing. There's another scenario in which I'm going to roster a backup, and that is a two-catcher league. I'm not saying I'm definitely going to have three, but if you do have three of the good catchers, you know that's like a hot commodity. You don't. I don't think you want to drop them because that you could, there's a little trade value there. Because in a two-catcher league, the waiver wire is awful. If you end up with three yeah. good ones, you know, you actually have some value there. You might want to just stash one just in case something happens to one of your starters. Or you might want to try to make a trade. Um, I will not actively go seeking three catchers, but I just ended up like last year. I drafted two catchers. Don't even remember who they were. And then I picked up Christian Vasquez and I just kept three catchers. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, JT, it's, it's an inefficient use of that. Like you, you should have traded one of your I, other two catchers rather than just sit on Christian Vasquez. I mean, I probably yeah, tried, I'm... but nobody makes trades in that league. But you're right, you're right. <laughs> but I, but I think at the same time, I was like, okay, let's just ride out this Christian Vasquez thing. It's not gonna last, and it just kept lasting. So that's probably yeah. why, maybe, maybe why I was hesitant. Uh, so Gary Sanchez or JT Realmuto? And this is amazing. Fantasy points per game. We talk about. We had this discussion last week, but if you missed it. You know, the points per game were similar. The points per plate appearance, identical. Gary Sanchez and JT Realmuto, same exact to the hundredth point uh, points per plate appearances. Scott, who do you like? 
I think in a points league, I definitely lean Real Muto because of the consistency of the playing time. Sanchez isn't going to start as many games behind the plate, and they have the Yankees have so many players that they're that are going to be in need of at bats at DH that I, I don't see him playing there very much. I think though the impact he could make in the home run category is so significant in roto leagues that I I lean that direction there. I do think he's the higher upside of the two, Sanchez and Real Muto, but there are, there are some drawbacks. You say unquestionably he's got the more more upside, Chris? Even in a points league. I mean, yeah. he you've got the, the last four seasons there, and Sanchez has been significantly higher in two of them. Now, small sample size caveats, Real Muto has played pretty much regularly all four years. He hasn't really gotten hurt. Gary Sanchez has been in and out of the lineup, but he's been better three out of the last four years in fantasy points per game, and... Two of them, like the the upside on that, isn't even close. Ramos' best season isn't is worse than Sanchez's third best. Yeah, but I'm I'm gonna make a case for Real Muto because you got the Marlins Park thing, and it's a little bit hard. It's a little bit difficult to compare Sanchez as a Yankee versus Real Muto as a Marlin. And what I, if you want to say that Real Muto has more upside, and again, I know I gave these numbers last week, but maybe you weren't listening then. Welcome to the show. Uh, his road OPS, his last three years with the Marlins. I mean, look at these numbers: eight ninety three, eight ninety seven, eight seventy. That's insane. And then last year he goes to the Phillies. He struggled in the first half, and then he had an eight ninety eight OPS in the last three months. So I think there's a chance that he can be an eight ninety OPS guy. Sure. And that's a huge upside. Now Sanchez can also. Yeah. But I think Real Muto might have upside that we have not seen. Uh, if he can put together a full season in that ballpark. I agree. And I would also say, since I was touting Sanchez as the better option in Roto, I don't think that's, I don't think that's obviously the case either because the two scarcer categories, batting average and stolen bases. Yes. Stolen bases. Real Mutos should have a huge advantage over Sanchez in both. When I say stolen bases, it might only be like 10, but that's, not nothing, especially right. at a position where most people are going to get zero. You're right. And if you replace batting average with OBP in Roto, you go five by five, you make it OBP. A lot, a lot of teams do, a lot of leagues do that. I think Sanchez gets a much bigger boost there. He walks more than Real Muto. I don't know that he'll have a better OBP because of the batting average, but it'll be closer. Um, how far back, Scott, is the next tier behind those two? And Grandal, by the way, has a calf strain. <laughs> Hello, James McCann. No, um... But yeah, right now he's a calf strain. Doesn't seem like a big deal. But Grandal and Max Gar- and Mitch Garver and uh, Wilson Contreras. Sorry, whoever's in that tier. How far back are they from the top two? I don't. I don't have them that far back personally. I'm I'm more likely to wind up with that next group than I am Real Muto or Sanchez. And the one I end up drafting most often is Mitch Garver, who was the best player at this position last year. By a lot, 0.4 points. By per pretty game. much every every per whatever metric <laughs> yeah. per a bat per game. Uh, ISO, I think he was the leader. Home runs, he hit uh, 31, which was only behind Sanchez, even though he Garver got 311 at bats. Uh, he was he was uh, he was definitely a stud last year. Now he didn't 
play as often as the typical number one catcher. They had Jason Castro there, who was a left-handed hitter. Garver's numbers were better against left-handed pitchers, although he was still plenty productive against righties. And so that that's a little curious that even though he was having this monstrous season, they didn't find more opportunities to get him in the lineup. Um, but he has good plate discipline. He has the kind of batted ball profile that lends itself to power. Uh, I, I think he's, I think it's a nice discount for what be, could be elite production and the, the range where he tends to go like round 10, round 11. That's when, that's when you start seeing few real advantages at any position I found like everybody kind of looks the same at the other positions. So Garver stands out as the one, the one, uh, place at catcher there where uh, you could get an advantage over over your opponents. All right, I'm going to go through ADP at least for the for the top six or so. Real Muto, round five, six. Gary Sanchez, round seven. Again, this is a 12-team league. Grandal, round eight or nine. Contreras, round 10. Garver, round 11. And then Will Smith, round 13 or 14. So I think there's a little bit of a tier drop after those top five of Real Muto, Sanchez, Grandal, Contreras, and Garver. And at least an ADP tier. So Scott says he likes to live in in that second tier range, the Grandal to Garver range, and he specifically highlighted Garver. Chris, I will get your opinion in a second. I want to come back to Scott, though. Contreras is very good. Um, Mm -hmm. I would, you know, more proven than Garver. Yep. Is he worth? He's only one round earlier in ADP. If you knew that's all you had to spend was a 10th round pick on Wilson Contreras. Or a ninth round pick on Yasmani Grandal. You know, what's the best value in that group? Grandal in the ninth, Contreras in the tenth, Garver in the eleventh. The best value, it may technically be Contreras just because there's a clearer sense of what you're getting there. But I, Garver was better last year. I think Garver could be the best player at the position, if depending on how much he plays. Or he could not. He could be a total bust, and it was last year was just a total fluke. I, I get that, but. Uh, I don't, I'm not as concerned about that as maybe some people are. And, and maybe it's just the way my own drafts have unfolded where at the point Contreras is going off the board, even though it's only a round earlier on average, there is still somebody there who, you know, it's, it's before the end of a teardrop at another position. And so it's easy enough to pass him over and then Garver's there the next round and it makes sense to take him. Chris, what's your take on these top five? Well, I don't know who Scott means by some people not trusting Mitch Garver, but it's definitely me. <laughs> um, and it is worth noting, you know, I, I've I've got this spreadsheet and I I looked at I'm looking at the Roto production from last year for all the hitters, and I created a a thing where I can sort of oh god, filter is the word I was looking for. filter. <laughs> Uh, by per 150 game score. Now, for catchers, obviously, that's going to overstate their actual uh, potential. But Mitch Garver, per 150 games last year, was the number 31 hitter in fantasy. That's how good he was on a per-game basis. I'm just a little more skeptical that he will be that good again. Uh, The underlying numbers are all great, but I don't necessarily believe in the skill set, but that's fine. I'm probably more likely to go... Real Muto or Gary Sanchez, and then 
honestly, if I don't get one of those, I'm perfectly willing to wait until basically the end of the draft. Really? Because, okay. See, how... I think that catcher is an interesting position because, you know, if you wait till the end of the draft and if you get Molina or whoever the crappy number 12 catcher is going to be, like, you're not going to be that much worse than half your league. But you do have a chance to really crush it and have a it's It's tight end. Think of it as tight end. Yeah. You, you have a chance. If Gary Sanchez, Real Muto, if these guys who can be elite are elite, you're going to have a huge edge over a lot of your league. I remember two or three years ago in our podcast points league, it just played out where the teams that made the playoffs had good catchers, basically. And the teams that made the finals had good catcher. You know, it's just like it, you just had such an edge. And if there's there's so much interchangeability in the other positions, then I think catcher is one where I want an elite, you know? Be- because you can find you can't find it on waivers. And and you can uh at every other position, basically. So I'm, I'm inclined to uh, take a top five catcher, and I mean, to me, Sanchez in round seven, it was I was really surprised. And round Muto in round five, I was very surprised at how late they were going. So that's one of the things I struggle with because, um, you know, in last season at least, and you know, you want to protect against. There's there's a natural tendency to sort of fight last year's battles every year in fantasy, in both football and baseball, and. Um, you know, you, you want to protect against that, but, you know, among the top 10 catchers last year, among the catchers who finished in the top 200 overall, Garver was available on waivers, Vasquez was available on waivers, Narvaez was probably available on waivers in a lot of leagues, McCann was available on waivers, and Roberto Perez, and so... I'm not doing that, though. I'm not fighting last year. I, I'm ignoring last year. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. kind of doing that by pointing that out, but I'm also just sort of pointing out that it's a position with a lot of variability baked in. But those because guys, guys get hurt so much. Yeah, but those it's it's pretty rare I think for for Mitch Garver to happen, right? Like Yeah. Those guys can finish in the top 12. They can be the number 8 catcher. That doesn't mean they had any impact on your team. There might be only 3 or 4 catchers that really had an impact in fantasy and I want one. No, well, that makes sense. That's kind of why I'm touting Mitch Garver is because I think he could be that without you having to pay the cost of that or he could not be but it's it's a position where the point in the draft where he goes I don't feel like I'm giving up that much by taking that chance and like I said the waiver wire should have competent contributors there even if they're not going to be the difference maker you're talking about Mm -hmm. yeah I just I think that what's so interesting is that people are reacting strongly to last year where Real Muto disappointed us a little bit and Gary Sanchez became such a fly ball hitter and his he he hit 238 or something like that and he was still really good on a per game basis um and they're going like I just can't remember the last time the first catcher off the board was going as late as 60th overall yeah 50th 58th overall it's uh it's a big reaction to last year. I'm going to call it an overreaction, uh, but doesn't mean I'm right. Uh, but I think we all sort of agree that it's it's kind of late. That those goes a good value there for Ramuto and Sanchez, and then the next three. Um, Scott, any prospects worth stashing? Yes, probably just in two catcher leagues. But I would say in most every two catcher leagues, Joey Bart. Uh, might be worth stashing away because 
Buster Posey doesn't look like he has anything left for the Giants. It's just a matter of time before Bart. Uh, He had some health issues last year, and so he didn't get the at-bats they would have liked him to get in the minors, but he's making rapid progress there, and I think he ends up taking over mid-season, if not earlier, for the Giants, and should be a good power hitter with without the sort of strikeout concerns that might bring down that profile. And Posey, if you if anybody wants to make a case for Posey, he's a points league specialist, if anything. Uh, but he was coming off hip surgery last year, and he, mm-hmm. he does say that he's healthier now than he was. He to me, he feels a lot like Kenley Jansen. <laughs> only the, only like Kenley Jansen's about to become Buster Posey, I guess. But well, maybe he the- can bounce back. The bigger difference there is Kenley Jansen still being drafted as like the third relief pitcher off the board or not quite sixth, whatever the whatever the specific number is. It's true. You know, maybe not factually true, but spiritually true. (laughs) Buster Posey, (laughs) on the other hand, is being drafted as the 18th catcher. You can get him as your number two catcher if you wait. Yeah. And he's going 251st uh, among all players, 278.2. It's his average draft position, so I can make both of you guys happy. You can quit quit squabbling about (laughs) that distinction. Um, All he has to do to be a value at that pick is go back to 2018, which wasn't a particularly good season. He hit five home runs, but he hit 284. If your catcher hits 284 over 448 plate appearances in a Roto League, that's a big win, especially if you got that guy 272nd point eight overall or whatever but if he is only 2018 posey which he could be do you think he'll be able to hold off bart and get the number of plate appearances he needs uh he has two years left on his contract so yeah i don't think we'll quite see that changing of the guard yet we might all right, with all that but, said, maybe maybe he's a sleeper. Let's do sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Scott, who's your favorite sleeper catcher? My favorite sleeper catcher is probably Tom Murphy, who is now finally locked into a big league job. Remember how often we talked about this guy who was mashing in the Rockies minor league system, and they didn't have a great major league option at catcher, but for some reason they just left him down there. Well, he got second life with the Mariners last year, was the platoon partner with Omar Narvaez, who's now with the Brewers, of course. And it was a pretty strict lefty-righty platoon. Murphy just annihilated left-handed pitchers, showed that the power translates even to a pitcher-friendly environment like uh, like they have in Seattle, and uh, ended up, despite playing, despite only getting like a half season's worth of at-bats, ended up with 18 home runs, 858 OPS, now, the numbers against righties are pretty bad. Uh, pretty bad. L- let's not let's not understate it. <laughs> Wasn't he like a sub-600 OPS against righties last year? In his career, though, it's 740. Okay. Uh, you know, so he's going to have to prove that he can hit righties, but in his career, he hits 866 OPS against lefties. Tom Murphy 653, excuse me. Yeah, 653. And seven home runs and 142 at-bats is a good home run rate. So, like, I'm... I'm hopeful that increased exposure, and clearly the Mariners are too, because they've anointed him the number one option. That with more bats, he'll he'll have more success against them. I do suspect his batting average is going to fall, and it'll probably be bad. He strikes out a lot. It'll probably be 
you know, 230 ish, but he could lead the position in home runs. He has that kind of power, particularly with the, uh, the, the, the playing status that he's going to have. And he's probably, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say he's my number twelve option, rounding out my top twelve there. But he's just outside of it. It's it's basically fourteen catchers who I feel like could, um, could be top twelve, and he's among them. Yeah, he's thirteen, and Sean Murphy of the A's is, is 12. twelve. Actually, I guess it's. <laughs> is that your? Sleeper? I guess it's fifteen catchers that could be because I'm I'm leading, leaving out Yadier Molina. And you just said earlier, Adam, yeah. you have a hard time seeing how he's not going to be top 12. Well, I only have him 15th because I'm aiming for upside there with some of the players ahead of him. There's only but. there's one way that he that Molina won't be top 12, and that's if they treat him like a normal catcher and rest him once every five days. But if they rest, rest him once every 10 days, he'll be top mm-hmm. 12. Mm-hmm. He'll, you know, I, th- I think he was top 12 last year, and he missed like a, a big... Yeah, he was 10th in points, 14th in Roto, and he only played 113 games. So that just tells you just what the playing time is. Um, and that he played 113 games with a big IL stint, you know? Like, 113 right. is not that bad for a catcher. But for, you know, Molina probably would have played like 140. I don't know. Okay, anyway, anyway, um, Chris, who's your sleeper? So I've got I, my sleepers column went up on CBSSports.com earlier this week. Go check it out. And I have two sleepers listed at the catcher position. You wasted that much of your sleepers column on catchers? I did 15. <laughs> okay. I did 15 guys. I did a bounce back candidates. I did traditional sleepers and I did deep sleepers. And so I have Buster Posey as a bounce back candidate. I already said that. But yeah, I think like, how would you feel about a catcher who hit 266 with 22 homers, 95 RBI and 103 runs scored? That'd be pretty dang good. I can't even think of who you're talking about right now sean murphy that's oh. what he's done between double a AA and triple a in his career now that's 155 games he's not going to catch 155 games probably going to catch 120 if he was able to hit 17 homers with 80 runs in rbi that's not out of the question given his skill set he's had a lot a lot a lot of trouble staying healthy in his career including last season when i believe he had a torn meniscus um but if he does stay healthy i think there's top five catcher potential there Sean Murphy for the A's. He's 25 years old. He had offseason knee surgery, but not a big deal. He actually started the wild card game for the A's, and that was when he was cold as heck. He he comes up. He played 20 games. I think one of them was early in the year, and then the rest were in September. So in those 19 games, comes up uh, 440 with a one. He bats 440 with a 1500 OPS in his first eight games. He hits four home runs, four doubles, and then I don't know. Maybe they figured him out. Last 11 games, he went two for 27. Similar thing happened to Will Smith, actually, but we do have these kind of younger catchers here um, that could be good, and maybe Two. Smith would be a breakout. I don't know. Yeah, there there are several that it could be good. I, as Carson you mentioned, I, I have Sean Murphy ahead of even Tom Murphy, so I like him a lot, too. And, and two big things Sean Murphy has going for him. Excellent defender, so playing time shouldn't be an issue for him. And excellent plate discipline especially in terms of not striking out much that was consistent throughout his minor league career very low strikeout rates so i think for him it's mostly going to be a matter of how how much power he gives and the last couple years in the minors in between injuries it was certainly enough power uh to to think he's going to hold his own in that area in this environment so uh definitely Definitely some upside there to be had late. Who's your favorite breakout catcher, Scott? 
I could go a few different routes with this, including Sean Murphy, but I'm going to go with Francisco Mejia, who finally started to emerge as the number one option in San Diego for defensive standout uh, Austin Hedges before a late injury. I think it was an oblique for Francisco Mejia. Uh, took him out of that mix. But yeah, he was he was starting to play more regularly and performing well with the regular playing time, uh, which is what you'd expect given how high the bat rated throughout the minors. Ended up... Uh, let me see the stretch. I'm yeah, talking, let me you. see if I can find the stretch so, I'm talking about. So, but it ended up with very good numbers yeah, during that I'll stretch. tell you the stretch, Scott. It was So we're talking about Francisco Mejia. I, did he get sent down and then he got called up on June 18th? Because... After that, 60 Possible. games, 844 OPS. Uh, he batted 297 with eight home runs, eight mm. doubles and a triple, a 349 on base, 494 slugging. So that's an 844 OPS with a 341 Babbitt for Francisco Mejia in those 60 games after being recalled on June 18th, which is the day before my birthday. Yeah, offensively, yeah. I think he could be pretty similar to JT Real Muto. I don't know if he's ever going to live up to Real Muto's playing time and the edge Real Muto has there. Because Mejia is kind of a liability defensively, but good bat skills and as in as is true for most players with good bat skills in this environment, the capacity to hit 20 plus homers. You know, the problem is you can't say one way or the other if he's going to play every day because Austin hedges. Right. Oh, Scott. You're hedging. Oh, Chris. Chris, yeah. Chris. <laughs> Sorry, I blame Scott for that pun. Chris, who's your favorite breakout? Carson Kelly. Yeah, he was your sleeper very last notable year. Yeah. Very, and he was really good last year. Very. He was awful in April, but basically from May 1st on, actually from May 3rd on, he didn't play the first two ga- days of, of May, he appeared in 94 games, 73 of them starts, hit 18 homers with a 255 average and an 874 OPS. If he just does that, just that, doesn't get any better, and he's a really good defensive catcher. He was another guy who... Like Francisco Mejia just never got the opportunity. And in his case, it was largely because he was backing up Yadier Molina. Um, he had an 826 OPS last year overall, even including the terrible April. He really doesn't have to get much better. He just has to play more consistently. Yep. Kelly, I, sorry, I have him Scott, ranked yeah. highest of any of these potential sleepers or breakouts we've talked about. I think everybody does. He's my seventh, sixth catcher, I believe. Seventh catcher. Um, but I'm not sure how much more playing time he's going to get because his numbers, and I was surprised to find this out, his numbers against righties are the, the lefty righty splits are about as drastic as Tom Murphy hmm. and the Diamondbacks signed left-hand hitter Steven Vogt to be their second catcher. So I, I'm going to guess Vogt plays a lot against righties just looking at those splits. I could be wrong, but I'm... I'm not counting on a huge increase in playing time for Kelly. That said, it's probably good enough even with what he got last year. He was second on a per-game basis behind Mitch Garver. He was tied with JT Realmuto and Williams Ostadio. 3.1 fantasy points per game, and uh, Mitch Garver was at 3.6 fantasy points per game. So that's Carson Kelly, 14th in points, 16th in Roto last year. You heard Scott. He's got him as his number seven catcher for the Diamondbacks. We have not mentioned Will Smith. He's number six, so I guess we'll just throw his name out there. He uh, he was great. I mean, he batted 253 with 15 homers in 54 games, and he was bad in September, though. He batted 175 in September. He slugged 298, and then in the postseason, he went one for 13. 
So again, I don't know that that means anything, but that's a bad finish to his rookie season. Maybe he's still eligible. Maybe he's technically a rookie this year. Um, but people were really excited about him. He got called up for the Dodgers. He was awesome. And Scott, you have him sixth overall. And uh, I don't think ADP does. I mean, like Salvador Perez. No, goes he's ahead sixth of him. overall. He is in ADP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're I, right. You're I, right. I feel I'm like sorry. he's kind of a more expensive version of Tom Murphy. He cut down on his strikeouts quite a bit at AAA last year and ended up with some huge numbers there, uh, which yeah, you know, everybody had huge numbers at AAA with the with the lower seam baseballs being used there. But I what was weird is a lot of players had drastic reductions in strikeout rate AAA too. As I, I noticed this for a lot of players who traditionally had strikeout problems, they greatly improved their strikeout rate, and it's like oh, maybe they've cleared that hurdle in their development. And then they get to the majors and start striking out a ton again. Will Smith was one of those. And not only that, but this guy has very, very strong fly ball tendencies. Like, kind of ridiculous how often he puts the ball in the air. And it was fairly consistent throughout his minor league career. So he's condemned. Between those two, the high strikeout rate and high fly ball rate, he's not going to be a much help in batting average. He needs to hit a lot of home runs. I think he could hit a lot of home runs. Obviously, I rank him sixth, but let's uh, let's not overstate the upside. Well, when you hit a lot of fly balls and you hit the ball really hard, 44.6% hard contact rate, is that not a formula for upside? Yeah, but it's it's mostly all home runs. I think, but that's enough. You know, like that's enough right. at this position. I, like I said, I rank him sixth. Yes, yeah, so you do. It's funny. You, you, you seem down on him, but you rank him well, sixth. Because for when he first took over the starting job, he looked like an out-and-out stud. And you know, then he slumped late, which you know, I don't want to make too much of either stretch. But when you look at the, the batted ball profile for the whole thing, you get the sense, okay, this guy's probably going to be like a 230-ish hitter, uh, if, if that. But he should hit a lot of home runs. Okay, that's okay. That's Will Smith. Um, we'll do bust, then we'll... Then we'll talk, yeah, then we'll basically just go through um, ADP, which we've more or less been doing. Blank will be a bust, Scott White. The bust at the position for me, I'm going to say it might be Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) It might be Will Smith. He's the one I want least of. Move Will Smith down, you coward. (laughs) My entire top ten. Well, he'd have to go behind Carson Kelly, Salvador Perez, who has been a top five catcher, like, I don't know, four or five years. I'll give yeah. you the stat on Salvador Perez, but he's almost right. always a top he five had catcher. He some weaker catcher pools he was performing in. But I, I, mean, I do want Will Smith more than I want Carson Kelly, more than I want Salvador Perez. But I do see the potential for, it to, for things to go the most wrong with him. Okay. Uh, Chris, who's a bust? Uh, so I did my bust column yesterday, and nobody, no catchers were on it. I didn't want to waste any space. You're welcome, Adam. Um, but I did come up with kind of my guiding principles for how I come up with my busts. And it was stuff like Father Time is undefeated. Don't pay face, face, don't pay face value for career years. Don't overreact to small sample size. Uh, stuff like that. And the catcher that probably checks the most of those boxes is Mitch Garver. Um, small sample size. Don't pay face value for career year. Those especially really ring true for him and so i suppose i have to go with him i don't hate him as you know 
a person, certainly. It sure sounds like you do. You but also... What did he do to you? Uh, I don't really hate his value. Like, as a 10th round pick, take a flyer and a catcher who last year crushed the ball. I don't really have any problems with that. It's more when you get into some drafts and you'll see people take him over like Wilson Contreras. And and that's where I start to get uncomfortable. It, it's It's less him at face value and more the potential that someone might pass on Yasmani Grandal or Wilson Contreras. And, you know, Wilson Contreras versus Mitch Garver is a really interesting com- uh, comparison because Mitch Garver's underlying stats, the the so-called skills-based stats, look so much better than Wilson Contreras. But Wilson Contreras's skills-based stats have always looked pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. And he's been pretty much an elite catcher three out of his four years in the majors. Yeah. So... He's a weird, uh, weird case, Wilson Yeah, Contreras. and that's one where it's just like, just take it at face value. Don't right. overthink it. He's that good. The one time he wasn't that good, I think he missed a big chunk of the season with like a hamstring injury. And he had, a, 10, he had a 9.3% yeah. home run to fly ball rate for yeah. Contreras so, that year. Which, and he's usually, he's either has like a really high home run to fly ball rate or that one year where it was extremely low. He's a very strange player. Yeah, and so I think that's one where like, if you're thinking about taking Mitch Garver over Wilson Contreras, that's when I start to get into like, well, Mitch Garver might be a bust. He'll, he might disappoint you. There, there's more upside with him than Wilson Contreras, but it's taking on unnecessary risk by moving him up your draft board in that way. But other than that, it's kind of hard to find a, a bust at catcher. Sure. Yeah, I mean... Christian Nobody's Vaz- going that high, like well, we talked about earlier. Christian Vasquez and Omar Narvaez are going ahead of Jorge Alfaro. I'm, I'm sorry, sure. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. They're going ahead of Carson Kelly and sure. Jorge, Jorge Alfaro. I don't know if you Christian can- Vasquez actually the underlying numbers backed up a lot of what he did last year. He's always been a strong contact hitter. He actually sacrificed some contact last year, uh, but made up for it by hitting the ball with more uh, ferocity. Let's say he he was number three in points, number four in Roto. Ron Renicky, the interim, soon to be full time, hopefully manager of the Red Sox, said, "quote We're going to try to get him out there as much as possible." So that's good. He played 138 games last year, was among the leaders at plate appearances, and batted 276 with 23 home runs. I believe he had a pretty high home run to fly ball rate. Of, no, it was it was only 16 percent, but it had always been very very low. It was, you know, like 4% the year before, 6.8% the year before that. So it jumped, but not to like a really high level. Um, it, it, if you're going to talk bottoming out potential, I think Omar Narvaez, there's a case to be made there. The guy makes some really weak contact, like yeah. one of the worst hard hit rates and lowest exit velocity readings of all qualifiers last year. But he's he just... also has excellent plate discipline, and now he's, go- he's going from Seattle to Milwaukee. So I... I still have a hard time uh, hanging him with that bust label. And he's also, one of the key things with him is he um, he's like a Deadpool fly ball hitter. And he ba- it, so it basically creates a situation where he... <laughs> Deadpool? <laughs> You'd say pool funny. you say pool funny. So I think you were just talking about the movie Deadpool. I'm so self-conscious of it every time I say that word, even in my real life, and it's all Heath's fault. I have to, I have to talk to my therapist about this. Later. <laughs> I thought Heath was um, your therapist, but he, he kind of, like, there's a very slim margin for error with Omar, Omar Navarez, but his swing is perfectly tailored to get the absolute most 
out of his somewhat limited skills. So I agree with you. There is the potential for it to go wrong, but given that he's hitting in that park in that lineup, I, I actually like him quite a bit this year. Okay, Scott, let's do a quick exercise and just tell me how much you buy these guys, um, you know, th- these 2019 standouts. Christian Vasquez, like I said, top four catcher. Uh, probably if we're doing a one to 10 scale, biometer. I buy at like a six. The biometer, but, a six. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how yeah, about it's like he goes so late? I don't, I don't worry that much, you know? How about Omar Narvaez? Uh, probably like a six as well. How about James McCann? No, not James McCann because he's going to lose his playing time. How about Robinson Chirinos, who batted 238 with 17 home runs, but he was a number like number 12 catcher? No, Probably like there. a four. He's done stuff like that before, but he's he's very old and may not get a lot of playing time. Roberto Perez, number 12 catcher in points. Yeah, uh, maybe like a four or a three. Okay. Yeah, he he also batted 239, 24 homers. First season hitting higher than 228. Uh first season with more than 8 home. He, this is 31 years old. He had just breakout. I guess he was 30. Uh Travis Darno. Now with the Braves. 5. I could see that going either way. He he might be somebody who gets a lot of traction on the waiver wire when whenever one of the players that is drafted as a starter inevitably falls short. And how excited are you about this amazing stat? Jorge Alfaro, who was number 16 in points, number 12 in Roto last year, walked nine times in September. Nine the, times. Nine times. The only month of his entire career with more than five walks. Incredible. <laughs> hey, if he if, if he gets a plate discipline, that could be a sleeper. So, I mean, we... At other positions, we'll talk a lot about like guys who are really, really impressive athletes. Jorge Alfaro, I, I don't know if there's any way to quantify this, and you can check me on it if you want, but he's probably the 99th percentile athlete at the catcher position. He runs really fast for a catcher. He's got an incredibly strong arm. He hits the ball really, oh. really hard. Yeah, And so that's one where he's just... He's a bag of tools. He's not so much uh, a real baseball player yet, but if he ever figures it out, there is yeah. some real breakout potential. And there's really interesting stuff in his profile. Like he didn't hit an infield pop up last year, which is <laughs> oh, kind of shocking. We compromised. Infield I've been pop-up. I've been going with infield pop up in my writing. Love to, it to satisfy <laughs> you. Um, he hits the ball on the ground too much to take advantage of his raw power, but there is significant raw power there. Um, and he has a 385 career Babbitt. So his 360, and that's over 973 plate appearances. So the 364 mark he ran last year might not actually be unsustainable. You know, it's weird. We're looking at a, a catcher who is still reasonably young, still reasonably inexperienced, who hit 262 with 18 homers last year. And I he's know. kind of an afterthought. And there's potential for more. Well, he should be an Alfaro should be an after afterthought in points leagues. Yes. His plate discipline will sink you, but in Roto leagues he was the number 12 catcher and his ADP is not that low in Roto leagues. So let's get to average draft position now for Roto. Um I think that's pretty much it in terms of the overall questions. We got into our strategy a little bit. JT Realmuto round 5 6, Gary Sanchez round 7, Grandal round 8 or 9. 
can we should we talk a little bit about Yasmani Gardal because he was the number one catcher in Roto last year. He was number two in points, batted two forty six with twenty eight home runs. He's now on the Chicago White Sox. He actually wasn't that good at home last year. He batted two twenty one with thirteen homers. Was better on the road. It was a little underwhelming. The the star making ability of Miller Park. I was hoping for more. The, what really made it so he was the number one catcher and it technically did have career highs for the most part was just that he played so much more than he did for with the Dodgers who always had decent secondary options that they were trying to work in and I'm a little concerned that uh, the playing time could go more where it was in his Dodgers days because the White Sox do have James McCann at least until they trade McCann and the White Sox have him on a four-year deal the Brewers just had him for one year yeah it worked him to death so Okay. Now he's a much better defender than McCann, but yes. McCann was an all-star last year. Yeah, and Grandal has been a top three catcher two straight years. Before that, he was number seven in points, number nine in Roto. You're going to get a good player, at least you know yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, more back to ADP after Grandal, who's third off the board. We've got Wilson Contreras going in round 10, Mitch Garver in round 11. Will Smith then goes about two and a half to three rounds later, round 13 or 14. Salvador Perez, round 15. So let me just get my handy Salvador Perez statistic here. First time we've mentioned him today, I think. I brought him up, but first time we've talked about him, sure. In his last six seasons, he's been a top eight catcher every year. He's been top five in five out of six seasons. So that's Perez. Obviously, it doesn't count last year because he tore his ACL, didn't play. Um, Can he just go back to being Salvador Perez? Probably. That's yeah. what I'm expecting. Yeah, and that's what? Like 240 average, 25 homers? It's a good player. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's Terrible it's, OBP, though. Like I, I wonder, because he was somebody who always played more than the typical catcher. And now the Royals have a new manager. Um, Ned Yost is gone, so it, especially coming back from Tommy John surgery, will he sit more? Perez? Seems... Like a reasonable chance of that. He also said, I, I found this a little odd, that uh, he's 90%, he, he's at 90% health right now, coming back from Tommy John surgery. And like catching, uh, particularly for a defensive standout like that, it, it demands a lot of the arm. Um, probably the most of any fielding spot. So he says he's going to be 100% by opening day. I don't know how he knows that. But the fact that he doesn't say he's 100% now, I, I don't know. It, it raises an eyebrow for me. And Perez, by the way, in terms of the batting average, here's his batting average his last five seasons, six seasons. 292, that's not going to happen. 260, 260, 247, 268, and then 235. He had a very low BABIP in 2018. So he might be more like a 260 hitter. But he does not walk. So keep that in mind. And yes, Scott's right about the playing time. It's a good point. He, it's, I don't know that coming off an ACL, he's going to play as much as he used to. And remember, he always used uh, to fade in the second half. Tommy John surgery, not ACL. Oh, coming off Tommy John. Why did I think he tore his ACL? I don't know. I'm of Wilson Ramos like three years ago. UCL. Uh, oh, all right. There you go. A and U, very, very similar letters. Back to ADP, Wilson Ramos, round 15. He's an interesting player. Uh, good batting average, a lot of ground balls, so not a ton of homers. He's a couple things are really three things are very worrisome with Wilson Ramos. One, he could not hit righties last year, and he's getting up there in age. Two, 
hard contact rate like plummeted. And three, the ground ball rate skyrocketed. Yet he still was fourth in points and ninth in Roto. He was third in plate appearances among catchers. Uh, thoughts on Ramos? Seems like a perfectly fine option, but yep. not one who's going to set you apart. He'll probably be one of the better sources of batting average at the position, but probably will fall short of 20, maybe even 15 homers. His average launch angle last year was zero. What? <laughs> really? Just <laughs> zero. He didn't have a launch angle yes, last year. That's funny. And that is a huge, like, he went from being like 4 to 6%. Every year in the Statcast era, to zero percent. It was it was right there with the ground ball rate. He just stopped hitting the ball in the air at all, and you know that it puts a ceiling on what you can do. But mm-hmm. it's also worth noting that the track record is long enough that he could easily bounce back. So the top eight catchers are Realmuto, Sanchez, Grandal, Contreras, Garver, Smith, Salvador Perez, and Wilson Ramos. You know, you've got a lot of familiar names. You've got a lot of proven names. You've got a lot of guys where you know what to expect. Then you have Mitch Garver and Will Smith in there as well. But they were both really good last year. Now it gets a little more interesting. you got Omar Narvaez. Great ballpark jump. Chris just talked about his swing is catered for Miller Park. Christian Vasquez is 10. Carson Kelly is 11. Jorge Alfaro is 12. And this is Roto ADP. And then you got the Murphys, Sean and Top. Sean and Tom. So Narvaez, Vasquez, Kelly, Alfaro, Murphy, Murphy. And from what I know of the rankings, Carson Kelly should be first on this list, right? Yes. Yeah. All right, who would be next for you then? Narvaez, Vasquez, Alfaro, Murphy, or Murphy? For me, (laughs) it's Vasquez. Okay. Is there anybody in this list that there's just no way you're drafting? Tom Murphy for me. I'm not with you on that one, Scott. Okay. I don't think there is somebody I'm not drafting. Oh, I actually have Wilson Ramos ahead of Vasquez and Narvaez. So yeah, he's know. going ahead of him in ADP, so I didn't include him. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not drafting and, Alfaro in points leagues, obviously. Sure. Right. But yeah, you terrible wouldn't play discipline. But even then, he you wouldn't. You're only drafting 12 catchers now. He's 12. Right. He's 12. Okay. Uh, next group is Molina, Mejia, Darno, Posey. Molina, Mejia, Darno, Posey. I like the two old guys most. Molina and Or at Posey. the very least, I'm most likely to draft them. Over Mejia? Mejia? I mean, he he did maybe figure it out last year. I'm I'm interested. Yeah. I'm definitely... Well, I have Molina the highest ranked of the group, but I would be the most excited to draft Mejia, particularly if it's like as the last catcher going off the board, and I know the next catcher to go off the board is going to be the one who's available on waiver, on the waiver wire, if that makes sense. That was kind of a weird way of putting it, yeah. but I'm, now, it made sense, I'm look, sure. if you If you are at this point in the draft and you're in a one-catcher league, and you haven't taken a catcher yet, right? You're just waiting. I don't. I do not see a reason not to go for upside. Yeah, exactly. That, right? That's that's what I was saying. You said it much better. Yeah, you have to. You have to go for upside here. Now, maybe Chris thinks Buster Posey has that upside, but and I'm just. I don't know. From what I've seen from Francisco Mejia in the majors, he just he doesn't look like he has it, and 
the fact that Cleveland wasn't sure he was a catcher when he was there. They were trying him out at a couple of different positions, but ultimately never really gave him an opportunity. Uh, the fact that Cleveland traded him, that matters to me. Um, well, they don't trade anyone. <laughs> well, I, I've cited this stat that uh, I think it was the ringer did research last year that showed that top 50 prospects who get traded perform worse on the average than top 50 prospects who don't get traded. Yeah, I could see that. I can't imagine that's a super strong correlation though, because it can come up with countless examples of prospects who were traded and they became out and out studs. It was statistically significant. I I don't, I can look up what the, but that was the trend at least that they tend to perform worse. I think the theory is these teams know them well enough and they're jumping ship. Yeah. Okay. So that group again was Molina, Mejia, Darno, and Posey. After that, we've got Roberto Perez, Danny Jansen, Robinson Chirinos, Kurt Suzuki. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously getting into a range of catchers that's going to go widely undrafted. And, but it is in a two 12-team, two-catcher leagues, ones who will probably be filling out those last spots. And in that scenario, I, I don't think they're that bad. I mean, Danny Jansen was one of the most popular sleeper picks a year ago. He performed horribly, but they're... He's not a lost cause. Uh, catcher's a tough position to break in at because of the defensive demands. Kurt Suzuki is consistently underrated. He never gets full-time at-bats, but he performs with them. Jarinos, like you mentioned, 24 homers last year, and he's usually up around 20. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're all fine. They're, they're much better number two catcher options than I think most people are used to seeing. Chirinos actually had 17 last year. It was Roberto Perez who had 24. Oh, okay. But Chirinos had 22 doubles. Perez had nine. Uh, they had very similar years. They were within eight fantasy points of each other. Suzuki, this is where Suzuki has ranked in fantasy points per game last three seasons. Second, seventh, and fifth. He yeah. just doesn't play a lot. Uh, but the thing is, even if you play in Roto Leagues or Categories Leagues, these points per game, they're still relevant. I mean, they still tell you how these guys measure up. The only... The only situations that are really worth noting is like guys who walk a lot. If play discipline matters, that factors in. So, right. you know, Alfaro is going to be horrible in points per game. Uh, yeah, whatever. I'm getting way too complicated here, but I don't want to try to, I'm not trying to alienate all the Roto category leaguers out there. Just, it does help to kind of see how they stack up. And then I don't know if there's anyone else that you think has a chance. Uh, I know. Joe, way, I- yeah. So I, I just looked up the the stat I cited about prospects being traded. Top 50 prospects who are traded, it was from 1991 to 2011. So it's a sample of 700 or so prospects and about 100 who were traded. The ones who were traded perform about 27% worse as, uh, as measured by wins above replacement. So it's not strictly fantasy speaking, but 27% and that gap is for both hitters and pitchers. So it's pretty significant very interesting and and yet like but i would still hesitate to use that when evaluating prospects as a metric just because they're i mean max scherzer was a prospect who was traded although he was traded wasn't he traded after making his debut yes but before he really became anything lucas yeah luis castillo i mean we could it's just, just looking it's, at starting pitchers, Charlie Morton. Although it's he had something, kind of a weird career path. It's yeah, Charlie Morton. I mean, if if it takes uh 
Francisco Mejia until he's 34 to figure it out. I think I'll win that one. Um, <laughs> no, but for me, it's just, it's, it's something that I've started to incorporate into my analysis. It, it doesn't necessarily mean every guy who gets traded, obviously is yeah. going to underperform, but that evidence sticks out to me. And, you know, especially if it's like, if the Astros traded Cal Tucker, mm-hmm. it would definitely be a red flag for me because they just seem to have soured on him a little bit. And that's sort of how it felt with the Indians with Mejia before they traded him. Okay. All right, I'm going to read a few more names. James McCann, Williams, Ostudio, Joey Bart, Tucker Barnhart, Jason Castro, Jan Gomes, Mike Zanino, Chance Cisco. Those are names. They play catcher. <laughs> There's still a chance Cisco figures something out. <laughs> well, I, honestly, the two Orioles options there, Cisco and... Uh, uh, blanking on the other name, Tucker Barnhart. No, I don't know Orioles. who else is on. The, I don't know who's on the Orioles, Scott. <laughs> like I don't think I named an Oriole. Jason Castro, Jan Gomes, Mike Zanino, Chancisco. I will find it. Williams Astudillo, Pedro, Pedro Severino. Okay, I didn't name him. That's why I was sure. confused. They both performed pretty well when they played. They just aided each other's playing time. And and so neither could really break out, but they were they were both fine last year. And Cisco's pretty consistently been a high seven hundreds to low eight hundreds OPS bat, pretty much all throughout his career, staying through the the high minors where he's got a seven eighty OPS uh, in AAA. How many thong jokes do you think he got growing up? Well, no, the the best one is Panic at Chant Cisco. I guess, but Cisco did the thong song, Chris. When did Cisco grow up? Thong song, I think, was before his time. He's 24 uh, years old. You guys are ruining my creativity. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that song, he was probably like two when that song came <laughs> we're out. We're really old. We're old, man. Well, uh, we have <laughs> sufficiently covered Catcher. Tomorrow, we'll answer your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook group. Thanks to Scott and Chris and to all of you for listening. I'm Adam Major. See you. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.